The scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the sake of the gospel will find it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes into his Father's glory with the holy angels. In our story today, Peter is admonished for not having his mind on the things of God, but having his mind on human things. What is remarkable is that just a few verses earlier, if you have your Bible, you can read it, it's a few verses earlier in that same chapter, Peter was commended for almost the exact opposite, for, for having his mind on the things of, of God and not his mind on the things of humanity when he declared that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he was, uh, he was applauded for that. But soon everything had turned around and Jesus was calling Peter names and everyone else along with him. And I think I'm safe in saying that it's not easy to keep one's mind on the things of God in this world we live in. As I put myself in Peter's place, who merely seemed to be struggling with the idea that all the things Jesus stood for were worth dying for. Jesus thought so. Peter seemed to not be sure about that. Furthermore, he could not imagine what would happen if Jesus were gone. It just couldn't be, Lord, I believe he said in another Gospel. So for Peter and the other disciples... It became a crisis of imagination and a crisis of commitment. Jesus, we can't imagine this world without You. And I'm not sure I'm as committed as You are to the things You're saying. Peter, of course, got it. When Jesus says to His disciples in Mark, take up your cross and follow Me, it was not some burden that he was talking about. You know, you know often we use this, this word, this idea of taking up one's cross uh, as carrying some kind of burden around. But that is not what was being said to Peter as it's recorded in Mark. But what was being said to Peter and the other's disciples is literally follow me in laying down your life for the kingdom of God. Which of course... Me- very many of the disciples, Peter and Paul among them, ultimately did lay down their life for the gospel and for the kingdom of God. Follow me into death, 
was what Jesus was saying to these disciples. How hard it is to keep our minds on the things of God when so many things of humanity are demanding our attention. We've been given this thing, the American dream. Own a home, own six cars, own 2.5 children, right? Have the stuff. You know, what makes us what makes us successful is to have the right stuff. And so many things out there are trying to get our attention. Uh, so many things want us to so many uh, things to buy. Who can who can who can keep track? Did you how many of you read the list of the stores in City Creek coming up in the paper the other day? We're kind of excited, aren't we? <laughs> We're a little excited. I'm bothered by my excitement about that. I'm bothered by that. It's a little convicting. How hard it is to keep my mind on the things of God when so many things of humanity want to take our attention. Uh, So many things within this world. The kingdom of God and the American dream are often at odds with one another. Because so often what is wrapped up in the world is is jockeying for control, jockeying for position, making oneself ahead of everyone else. We often have a little saying in our in our house that you know things are not a competition. Uh, you know, we go around saying, well, you know, it's not a competition. We're not here to beat everybody out. And one, one day we were talking about something with my daughter and, and she said, I, you know, she was saying, well, you know, I think I won. And we said, well, you know, honey, it's not a, it's not a competition. But she said, well, I know, but if it were, I would have (laughs) won. And so often we, we do that, right? We want to win. In fact, I, uh, uh, I've been talking about the talent show we had here. And to the person, every time I say, well, this is, you know, I'm showing the video of my of, of singing, right? And every time I show someone the video, their question to me, to a person is, who won? Who won? Right? Because winning is what it's about. Whoever has the most toys when they die, they win. Right? And uh, the, some folks are really working at that. And it's so easy to feel that way. I want nice things. I want the right house. I want the right schools for my children, the right clothes for my children. I want more ties and things like that. I want to go out and have good food, go see movies and shows. I want, I want, I want. So often we find ourselves just caught up in this this longing, this covetous desire to have more. And it's this this human desire, this human longing within ourselves to not be able to find enough that causes a lot of the disparity and a lot of the chasm between people in our world. You know, I, uh, CEOs of of giant companies make make so much money you can't even fathom the wealth, and 
they themselves don't, don't really care about money, but it's the only gauge of self-worth they have. And so, if you can be a world-breaking, salaried CEO that makes more money than anyone in the world can even imagine, it's wrapped up in your worth. What are you worth? And I would think, what an, what an awful place to be that this is the only gauge of what your worth is, is by trying to get as much money as you can. And it's amazing how much money they can get. And I often wonder, what is it that the CEO does that's so different than the guy picking my tomatoes that it's worth thousands and thousands of times more to the world than tomato picking. Quite frankly, the tomato guy affects my life probably a lot more <laughs> than this guy. Because I eat a lot of tomatoes. And I'm not, I'm not trying to take, make this into, a, into a, a thing. I'm just, what I'm observing is this lust for money and position is wrapped up in our identity of what we're worth and how good we are and the competition that our humanity puts us in with each other. And the world we live in is not like the kingdom of God. How hard it is to keep our mind on divine things, on God things, when so many human things demands our attention and drags us away. But Jesus seems to be giving the disciples a little bit of instruction about this here on this very issue. If any would become my follower, Jesus says, if you wish to keep your mind on things of God, you must deny yourself. First thing Jesus says, deny yourself. This word here literally means to say no to oneself to say no when you want all the crackle for yourself say no and share a little bit deny yourself it's abstaining from the luxuries and comforts that our natural instincts make us desire for ourselves i like what one commentator said in one of my books it's the subordinating, the clamoring ego with its shrill claim of priority and its preoccupation with I, me, and mine. It's insistence on comfort and prestige. It is denying the self, not to show our own spiritual prowess, but for the sake of the divine, for the sake of Christ. It is simply not being centered on yourself, but centering on Christ. If you want to keep your mind on the things of God and not on the things of humanity, step away from yourself and look out beyond that. Particularly look to Christ and ask, what does Jesus need of me? Which brings us to a second admonition Jesus gives. Uh, they must take up their cross. Now for many, this seems to be a call for setting aside oneself and then picking up some burden and stoically doing one's duty. Oh, I guess I better do my 
do my part and we haul that cross around like it's a big uh, burden to bear. And people often talk about difficulties as being the cross they must bear or even, dare I say, some people are the cross we must bear (laughs) in our lives, right? Yet this cross that Jesus is offering us is not that. It's not that burden. For Jesus, the cross was not a burden, but the powerful symbol of all that He came to accomplish, all that He came to transport to us, all that He came to live for, and all that He said was worth dying for, the kingdom of God. When Mark records Jesus inviting people to take up their cross, it's to join Christ in living out the kingdom of God, even if it costs them their life. Now the cross we are offered by Jesus is a cross of conviction that leads to a better world. It's a cross of hope for justice. It's a cross that calls us to our higher selves. And it's an invitation to live out all that Jesus lived for, died for, and embodies in the church. Amen? Taking up the cross is to take what Christ bore for us and carrying it forward. Jesus had to lay down that cross. And it's for us to pick up. Not as a burden, but as the culmination of everything that is righteous in the world. And lifting it up. The divine things. The God things. Lifting those up and carrying them forward. Hopefully, someday, drowning out the human things. Putting them, as Jesus would have us, behind us. The third invitation Christ makes is to follow Me. This is about going where, going when God, through Christ, takes us. Take going wherever God is taking us. Joining God in the things that God is doing in the world today. It's about letting a vision that God has for humanity lead us down a path. It's about living out the ways of Jesus. And not just the easy ones and not twisting them to fit our own preferred society. That is just more of the human things that Peter has on his mind. Following Jesus is really letting Him lead. What that looks like, it's perhaps a little different for each of us, but it's allowing the work and the ministry of Christ and allowing the writings that reflect, that, ha- that we have, that reflect on the life of Christ, the Gospels, shape who we are. It's really loving your neighbor as yourself. It's really praying as Christ taught us. It's really asking for forgiveness when we need to ask for forgiveness. It's really handing our burdens over to Christ and not picking them back up again. We want to make this stuff really complicated. But quite frankly, here, I'll, I'll give you an out, a little, a little one. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that I don't understand, a lot of stuff you don't understand. But let me give you permission to ignore that stuff. And if you just do the stuff you do understand, this would be a different world. Amen? <laughs> if we all just did the stuff that we got, love your neighbor as yourself, we get that, right? <laughs> I don't really need to preach on that, do I? If we just did this and took it to heart, 
If we earnestly looked at these, I've never had anyone go, you know what, I did the whole Bible, I did what Jesus said, and quite frankly, I, I didn't really like it. No one ever does that. They feel better for it. There are people out there who radically take seriously the call of the Gospel. Like when Jesus said, sell everything, give it to the poor, and follow Me. The guy in Philadelphia who's kind of one of my heroes and one of the people that challenges me, Shane Claiborne. I've brought him up before. Shane Claiborne, who lives in an intentional community uh, and lives simply and does it with passion. And do you think he cares that City Creek is opening? Probably not. And do you think he misses it? No. That, that kid is filled with more joy than I've seen in a lot of people. And it's amazing. I wish I had that kind of guts, you know? And I suppose that's the challenge, isn't it? To put our th- mind on the things of God and letting that be the dominant symbol we have in front of us. Let, letting that light drown out the darkness that this world tries to drag us into that convinces us that joy is really found very shallow things you can see it every day in our lives the lives of the people around us scrambling to try and make meaning out of meaningless things what Jesus invites us to, to a different kind of world. Finally, Jesus sums it up by saying, it is losing your life that will save your life. Here again, Peter and Paul literally gave up their life for the kingdom of God. They were executed because they stood up for the kingdom of God. They stood up for God's justice. They stood up for loving your neighbor as yourself. We do not live in a time when the choice between human things and divine things results in execution here. But it does mean shifting our focus. One of the greatest blessings of faith is that it mends our broken focus. Over the course of Lent, we've been talking about our own brokenness. And the world has broken our focus and turned it toward the things of humanity, and we are called to refocus ourselves on the things of God. It takes our eyes, the, the things of Christ takes our eyes off of oneself and onto something bigger. It moves our gaze heavenward. Not in the hope of going there someday, someday but looking to God and saying, help me get us there today let us pray gracious and loving god as we try and redirect our focus off of the things of this world to the things of god we know that it is not something we can just do on our own but it's something that comes from losing our life to you and having you give it back to us that we might live in real joy, sustainable joy, and a joy that brings life and doesn't take life. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.